Hey guys, welcome to episode two of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host, Matt, and I'm really excited to bring on a special guest today. His name is Cannon Claycomb. Cannon is a 2020 graduate committed to play golf at the University of Alabama. He's one of the top ranked juniors in the country. Currently, he's ranked number 60 in the World Amateur Golf Rankings and ranked number five in the Rolex AJGA Rankings. I came to know Cannon and his family a couple years ago. Great family, great young man, and I'm really excited to have him on as a guest because I think he's going to bring some great value to junior golfers and their families. He's going to talk to us about his experience in junior golf, his practice habits, caddying for a buddy of his, Ryan Ruffles, on the McKenzie Tour. And he's also going to talk about something that's really important to Cannon and his family that's actually going on this weekend, which is the Mason Cup. I do want to throw a little disclaimer out there. We did have a couple audio challenges. Uh, at a couple points, we cut out and we had a little bit of feedback, but 95% of this podcast is in good shape. So I wanted to put it out there because I think it's really going to bring some value to you guys. Uh, so I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks. All right, everybody, thanks for uh, joining us. Like I said, we've got Cannon Claycomb on the line today. Uh, Cannon, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you've been a pretty big force in the junior golf space uh, over the past few years, and I uh, thought it'd be a good idea to have you on. You're influential, I think, in the junior golf world, and uh, just wanted to kind of get to know you a little bit and um, – you know, I got some questions for you. I want to talk through some things, see if we can bring some value to some families out there with junior golfers uh, that are up and coming and just want to go that direction. So uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got introduced to golf? Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in Bowling Green, Kentucky, um, lived there for 16 years and then moved down to Orlando like two years ago. Um, so that's where I live now, down in Lake Nona. Um, and junior golf, just like I kind of took not the crazy early route, but I mean, I got to play like Pinehurst when I was 11, 12, 13. Um, and then one Worlds in Pinehurst when I was 13, I think. Um, and then that kind of propelled me to the next step, which was AJGA stuff. Um, and I actually got really fortunate. Like the route that AJGA is, is kind of tough if you don't have stars starting out. But um, I finished second in my first junior all-star and then placed third in my next junior all-star. So Right off the bat, I kind of had enough stars to play um, all the events I wanted to. Um, and then played a few Opens, played pretty good. And then I got into junior players my eighth grade year. Um, and then once you get into, like, the invitational events, the points are so much higher. Like, it's kind of tough to play invitationals and then, like, not be able to get into them anymore just because if you have one good finish in an invitational, it keeps you around the top 70 or whatever it is for about a year. Um, so I got pretty lucky in that perspective. Um, so yeah, I've just been playing like all like invitationals, AJGA stuff, and then obviously like US Junior and all that good stuff as well for the past few years, and it's been great. Yeah, I mean I've been following you along a lot. Obviously, I mean we met a couple of years ago when I was at IMG, and uh, you know was having some discussion about you know looking at some different options for you, and obviously you've got a great setup there at Lake Nona. Um, and you talk about, like, the junior events that you've played in. I mean, 
you've had the opportunity to play in some pretty awesome events. Um, definitely nothing that was handed out to you. I mean, you've certainly earned it by putting some good scores on the board, but what have been some of the, I guess, best tournaments that you've played in and like some, just some of your best experiences, whether it be individual or team events. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, obviously like my favorite events have been um, like, I got to play junior president's cup the first year, um, which was really special because that was the inaugural year. Um, so the first, first time they'd ever had it. Um, we were, I was on the winning team there. And then I got to play Junior Ryder Cup last year, and I was in Paris, which was pretty awesome. And we, we also won that team event. Um, and I think any time that you get to play for your country, um, it kind of adds another level of, um, I don't know if it's pressure or just, um, I think it's more fun because you get to represent your country, and um, it's, it's kind of a big deal. So I think those two events were probably my favorite. Um, but then you also have Wyndham Cup that's also – a really awesome event top 20 juniors from the east and the west compete um and then you have like all of our invitationals are really awesome we um you know we we it's kind of like the tour in a perspective as you see the same guys kind of every event um and you build really good friendships and like i mean basically all my best friends are on the junior golf circuit with me so um, going to the events, it's, I mean, obviously you show up trying to win and you want to compete, but it's also um, just kind of a time where you get to hang out with your, like your best friends and um, make new memories. And that's, that's what I've liked most about junior golf is um, all the people I've gotten to share it with. Yeah, it's cool. It's a lot of fun to, to watch, you know, at your guys level. And then, you know, you talk about some of the professionals that are out there. I had um, Aaron Westlake, who's the director of operations at the Hurricane Junior Golf Tour on last week. And we were kind of talking about, you know, just some of those guys that you watch on tour that, you know, the, the JTs and the Rickies and the Speeths and, you know, those guys that all grew up playing together and started building those relationships kind of at your age and younger. Uh, it's, it's pretty neat to watch that and how those guys still ca- stay connected. And I'm sure, you know, as you continue to go through your game, um, you know, evolve and kind of progress into college. And, you know, I'm sure you've got some aspirations of playing professionally that, you know, those relationships are going to, you know, be good ones down the road too. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, or actually, can you talk a little bit about like, who's been, who have been some influential people in your game? Uh, just kind of, you know, dive into, you know, whether it be family or people outside the family. Yeah, I mean, always, like, my family has been really supportive and influential in my in my golf career and also everything else I've done. Um, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, you know, the whole deal. But I think um, the move to Florida for me was um, a very important step in the right direction for my golf game. Um, you know, I get to live in the same neighborhood as Henrik Stinson and Ian Poulter and um, Graham McDowell. And, um, I mean – it's not that I'm like best friends with those guys or that I play with them every day, but just seeing them like on the range and how they practice and all that good stuff. And then um, some of my best friends are like Ryan Ruffles, Sam Horsfield, um, Charlie Bull, um, guys like that. And they're, they're out there trying to make a living playing golf and playing mini tours and Sam's on European now. Um, and so just like getting to play with them and see like what the next step, of golf is after college, after junior golf, you know, what I have to do um, to be, you know, 
on tour or whatever. I think that's that's kind of been the most influential people in my life so far. Just um, they're always willing to play and they always want to get a game. And um, I think that's that's been really important for me, just being able to to play against guys that are um, really good. And I mean, they're professionals and they they play golf for a living. So um, being around those guys has been very influential to me. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, you know, you're out there playing with some guys that obviously have really strong games. I mean, what does that do to your – I'm sure you guys are having a good time when you're playing out there, but, you know, what does it do to your focus level in terms of, you know, standing over each shot and making those count, you know, as you guys are competing against each other? Yeah, of Even course. if it's I mean, practice. Like, I mean, obviously, like, we always play for something, whether it be money or dinner or pride. So, I mean, you never want to lose to your best friends. Um, and I think, I think that's been a very, um, a very good thing for me just because, um, I've always been good at like limiting like bogeys and stuff like that. Like I very rarely shoot more than one or two over, but I, I used to never be able to take it like deep, like seven, eight under. So it was always like a middle ground where I was like either one over or two under or whatever. And like, that's good for being consistent, making cuts and all that good stuff. But um, it's hard to win if you never shoot four or five, six, seven under. Um, sure. And I think they kind of taught me how to do that. You know, like even like even the tough holes, they're they're trying to make birdie. They're never standing on a tee being like, okay, well, par is good here. Um, which I mean, theoretically, like sometimes par is a great score, but they've got just like that killer mentality where um, they're trying to birdie every single hole, and um, you know they know they can do it. And I mean, I've seen them basically do it i mean sam especially um i mean i've seen him shoot six seven eight under like he like i mean didn't even try to do it and uh that's i think that's kind of where they've been a big part of my life um because they they make it look so easy and you just get to see it day in and day out and what they're doing and um they they just take they just make shooting low numbers look really easy and um i mean if i if i don't start shooting low numbers i can't keep up with them and then i don't get to play with them anymore so i think that's (laughs) that's kind of been uh the motivating factor for me and um, i think it's i think it's helped me a lot yeah i would say so i mean you talk about low numbers just a few weeks ago i mean you're playing in the junior pga and (laughs) i mean you played lights out man 62, 64, 68, 66, combined 20 under, and you finished second place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, that was like – that was just the, the new gear that, you know, I've, I've learned to have. And, I mean, I've never shot 62 before. I think my lowest round before that was at Thunderbird. It was a 64. Um, and I, I always struggle coming out. Like, my game is – um, I have a lot of backdoor, like, top tens, top fives. I, I usually don't start great. Um, like, if I shoot anything under the par in the first round, I'm always really happy. Um, so, I think, you know, going out there and shooting 62 the first day and having that first round lead. Um, and it was a it was an afternoon tee time, like, really late, 150 or 155, which I usually don't like very much either. So, um, I think getting that first round out of the way was kind of a big step in the right direction for me. And then I got to follow it with a 64, um, which was really cool. Cause I mean, after you shoot 62 and going out there the next day, you shoot four under and you're like, yeah, that didn't do very good. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, well, theoretically, like six under sixty four was a really good finish um, on the second day, and then um, I just I mean I played good the rest of the week. I on the final day, I think I was three under through four. Um, I mean, I had a chance to win coming down the stretch, and um, I mean that's just what you ask for as a golfer, you know. And um, ultimately, I didn't get it done. I lost by a shot, but I mean it's hard to look back on a week where you shot 20 under and be disappointed. Um, the other guy just played better and that's, that's what it was, but yeah. Yeah. It was an awesome week and I had a great time and I played really well. So it was fun. Yeah. It's a nice finish. I mean, like you said, it, it stings, right? Second place. Yeah. Uh, you play that well, but at the same time, I can, I mean, I can't imagine you're too upset with yourself, leaving it all out there. And just at the end of the day, you, you put it on the line and just got beat. So, I mean, yeah you got to applaud the others and, uh, you know, keep it moving. So let's talk about after junior PGA, you go up to Canada, right? Yes. And you go up, you play in the Canadian AM, not quite the showing that you wanted to have, but I think it's kind of an important thing to talk about, especially for this podcast where we're talking about, I think there's a lot of junior players out there and there's a lot of families out there. Parents sometimes, um, you know, can, can ride their kids on, you know, you got to put up, low numbers every single time and you know I've heard you know statistics out there about professionals where you know they play their best golf less than 60 percent of the time so can you just kind of talk about what it's like going from a week where you have you know you career it almost in terms of your junior career right now with finishing 20 under second place finish at the junior PGA and then you go on to the Canadian AM you shoot 74 80 miss the cut yes what's going through your head um, well, I think Canadian Am was more summer. I had played, I think, like 11 or 12 events. Um, I had played four weeks in a row. Um, and Canadian Am was like one of those events that I actually wasn't like going to play. I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even know it was an event until like two weeks before I was up there. Um, I got the opportunity to play from the USGA. They invited me up there and paid for everything. And Um, I mean, I thought it was a great opportunity for me to go play. Um, But it was just a completely different golf course. If you've never been to Canada, we were in Halifax, which is like east of Maine. Um, So about as far east as you could go. Um, And it was just tight and um, firm and windy. And it was just a completely different golf course than the week was before, where um, Keeney Park, you could kind of just blow it all over the place and hit it as far as you wanted. And um, you were going to find it, and you could make birdie from basically anywhere out there. Um, and that just wasn't the case at Canadian Am. Um, but I think at the same time, it was just um, it was just a different mindset. Like, nine under, and he won by four or five. So, And it was four days as well. So it was just kind of more of a grind. And um, if you didn't have your best stuff, then you weren't going to be able to fake it around those two golf courses. Um, and I just didn't have my, my best stuff or even close to my best stuff. And um, you don't shoot 80 on accident. You, um, you, you don't hit the shots that you need to hit. And that's what happened. Um, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it was a positive. Like, I, I, I didn't play good, but I was up there with my dad. And we, we hadn't gotten to experience a bunch of golf tournaments together that summer. Um, so being up there with him was really awesome. And then the next week I got to go caddy for Ryan Ruffles on McKinsey Tour um in calgary which was like way west it's like above montana so it was kind of a hike to get over there and 
Um, I just got to hang out with them, him and uh, Josh Hetherington, who's another Aussie friend of mine. Um, and we just had like a good week, you know, we kind of chilled out. He played on the McKinsey tour. I caddied for him and um, we just got to hang out and kind of um, do our own thing. And it was, it was, it was fun and it was something that I needed to do um, to kind of stay around golf, but at the same time, get away from it a little bit. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how my Canada trip went. Cool. Cool. What's it like being on the bag? You know, it was actually, I, I was talking to Ryan about this. It's, um, it's pretty eye opening because like, as a player, you see everything that could go wrong, I think. Not not in a negative way. You're just always thinking like, okay, I don't need to miss here. I need to hit it here. Um, this pin's in this position. I need to hit it to here to have a good putt. Whereas, like, when you're on the bag, like, he was hitting a three-wood, like, 330 yards that week. We were at elevation a little bit. And, yeah. um, like, I just remember there was one hole on the front, and it was, like, the eighth hole. And it was like 390 yards, a little downhill, a little downwind. And I was like, Russ, why don't we just like beat driver here? Like try and get it to the front edge. Like, I know you can do it. Like you're, you're hitting it great. And he wanted to hit iron. And I was you know, like, as a caddy, you're not going to be like, no, hit driver. Like, I don't want you to hit iron. So <laughs> I was just like, I handed him the iron and let him hit it. But like, it's just a totally different perspective because you're, as a caddy, you're always thinking like your player is going to do exactly what you say every single time. And then, like, on the flip side, I'm sure he was getting mad at me a few times telling him to hit driver on holes that he didn't need to hit driver on. But um, I, it was it was actually a really eye-opening experience for me. I'd, I'd caddied a few times, but um, with Russ, it was a little different because he absolutely murders the golf ball. Um, like, if I, yeah. if I step on a drive, even at elevation, it's not going to go 330. And he was hitting a three-wood easily 330 in the air. Um, wow. So – yeah, that's pounding it out there. Yeah, it was just – I mean, I had a great time on the bag. I, I honestly enjoy caddying more than I do playing, but um, I'm probably a little better at playing than I am caddying, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna stick to playing for now. I'm going to um, ride that train. Yeah, but it was awesome. I, I really enjoyed it, and anytime I get to help out my friends um, on the golf course or off the golf course, I, I usually jump at the chance. Yeah. So, I mean, just sticking on the subject of caddying for a second, you know, you've got a lot of – junior players that are out there they're playing at events parents are going around in practice rounds with your experience on the bag you know in in this tournament with ruffles or whether it be you know another usga event you're caddying for a buddy something like that could you give any advice to parents that are out there about you know the types of things that are good to talk to the players about you know what kinds of things that they can do that are beneficial maybe in a practice round for their kids as they're trying to you know set up for the week yeah I think just like picking out first of all like I always try and when I'm in a practice round I'm always looking for places like that you don't want to miss like say it's 17 or 16 at sawgrass right part five if you hit it right there you can still make birdie. You just hit a six iron or seven iron back into the fairway, wedge on, make birdie. But, like, if you hit it left, you're dead. Like, you have to – A, you have to get lucky that you have a punch out through the trees. And then, B, you have to execute the punch shot through the trees with water on the right, you know, tree on the left. So, um, I would always say just try and pick on every hole one one side of the hole that you can miss on and um, make sure that your bailout is – in the right spot um obviously there's some holes where you don't want to miss right or left but um i think that's a big thing and i think what my parents what i always talk to my parents about is 
they've always been really good at not getting upset on the golf course if I'm playing good or bad, um, as long as my attitude's fine. Um, because, you know, as players, we're never trying to play bad. Like, you know, I'm never going out there like, oh, I'm going to try and make a bogey on this hole. Um, and I think a lot of the times, at least from what I've seen in junior golf, is um, if, like, a parent is following a group and a kid makes a bogey, and then the parent reacts negatively to it. The next two or three holes is not a, not going to be good for the junior as well, just because they're trying to impress their parents instead of trying to make birdie on a hole um, because they want to make a birdie on a hole. They they want to make birdie because they want their parents to be happy again. And um, that's just not yeah. how, how my family's ever done it. And uh, I don't think that's ever going to be how my family's done it. Um, and I think it's, I think it's been a good recipe for us just because um, I mean, anybody that's out watching anytime, you know, if if the vibe around you is negative, it's going to be harder to play better. Um, and if you have a positive vibe and you have a bad hole, but you can pick yourself up on the next, you know, it's it's always going to be better. So um, yeah. that's that's just how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's great advice. And I mean, none of what you even talk about has anything to do with technical advice or swing advice. It's just really all about mentality and being positive and you know trying to you know help them through the round from a course management perspective so yeah I think that's great advice yeah Thanks for sure not yeah well and like one of one of my other things is like when you show up to a tournament right like you know you're gonna play like I know in two weeks I have to show up at Sawgrass and play my best if I want to win so like if I show up at Sawgrass and I'm not playing good like I'm probably not gonna be able to fix it there like you're just going right. to have to grind it out and make the best number that you can on every hole. Um, yeah. So like, I've never been one after the round to like go straight to the range and try and fix something. I would just go home, you know, call it a day um, and then show up a little earlier the next day and try and figure out what I'm hitting. And um, like my, my, my dad told me one time, like if you show up on the range and you're hitting a cut, then hit a cut that day and don't try and fight it. Or if you're hitting a draw that day, try and hit a draw and don't fight it. Cause uh, I think a lot of, of what the golf game is going now is it's more technical and you know you have to have a good swing to be productive on the golf course which I just don't think is the truth like I mean you saw Matt Wolf come out in his third start and win and I've never yeah. seen someone swing the golf club like Matt Wolf has sure. um, and he, he shapes the ball and a lot of the best players of all time have been able to shape the ball and um, they haven't really relied on swing mechanics to be great I mean some of Tiger's best shots, like the shot at, uh, I think it was at Medina when he hit the three with like 60 yard slice from the rough, you know, yep. on the front of the green, won a PGA championship, things like that. So I think uh, you have to be more of an artist out on the golf course and, and less focused on me mechanics, um, or at least that's, that's what I try and do. No, I think it's, I think it's a great approach. I mean, you know, when I was growing up, the technology was there. It just wasn't as prevalent. So you know, could you get on TrackMan or, you know, those different types of tools you could, but, you know, it wasn't as readily accessible as it is now. And I think, you know, sometimes players can get too technical. And like you said, they lose the artistry a little bit. And it can be tough to go out there and just be so rigid and technical on the golf course at the end of the day. I mean, you got to put the ball in the hole. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And, and I'm not saying like, if you, if you like to use TrackMan, I'm not saying TrackMan's bad. Like, Sure. I, I still use TrackMan if I'm if I'm off, but um, like seeing some of these juniors show up at junior events and having the TrackMan out on the range like 20 minutes before the tee time, I'm like, dude, if you're worrying about your TrackMan numbers 20 minutes before the first tee, like I'm <laughs> I'm honestly praying for you, man. Like I, I hope it goes good. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
that's just not not how I do it. But some people are different, and the track sure. might work for some people. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your practice habits a little bit. I mean, I know from, you know, just talking to you a little bit here and there that you're not a guy that stands out on the driving range all day long. You like to play golf. You like to be on the golf course. Um, you like to figure out how to score. Kind of talk us through a little bit about how you split your time. And you know, you've, you've already shared with us who you play with a little bit. But can you kind of talk through a little bit about your practice habits and playing habits? Yeah. So when I go practice, it's I don't think I've ever hit balls on the range for more than like 30 minutes. Um, that's just like, I, I'm not a range guy. I don't like, I don't enjoy hitting shots to the same flag or whatever. But um, when I do practice, it's, it's like, I mean, I'll spend two to three hours on the putting green, just doing different things. Um, and like an hour, hour and a half hitting chips from different spots. Um, just cause I think practicing, seeing the ball go in the hole is more productive than watching a seven iron draw five yards to a flag stick that's 170 yards away um so i usually split up practice into short game if it's like a strict practice day i'll do you know putting for two two and a half hours and then chipping for an hour hour and a half um and then i always play at least nine holes um just because i think you're on the range i mean i'm sure everybody's heard this before but you're not going to hit a seven iron from a flat lie no wind to the same pin 20 times in a row like it just doesn't happen in a tournament um so I always try and go play nine holes or 18 holes um because then you're you're hitting different shots different clubs putting yourself in different um different uh I don't know what you would call it but different predicaments I guess and trying to figure out you know what's what's the best way to hit this shot to that flag or can I hit this eight iron 160 yards back into the wind if I flight it um just things like that so yeah, I, I enjoy playing more than I do practicing, but um, short game is definitely the thing I focus on when I do practice. So let's say like on those practice days, you know, you spend three hours working on your short game, maybe hit balls for 30 minutes and then you go play. Yeah. Are you trying to, in those nine holes that you're going to play, I mean, are you trying to implement anything that you are working on during that practice session or are you just going out, leave the technical stuff behind, go figure out how to put a score up? Um, I mean, it depends. Like putting – Putting's a little different because I don't ever look at my stroke like on camera. I judge my putting on – I line the ball up when I putt, and if the ball is rolling end over end, you know, I could be taking it back four degrees from the inside and then hooking it back. But if it's rolling end over end, like it's going to go in if I have the right line. Um, sure. So I think when I practice, I'm, I'm mainly doing like – you know, it's not really anything technical. It's, it's always like I start out with 100 five-footers in a row uphill – um, and you have to just make a hundred in a row, um, whether they're good putts or not, if they go in, they go in. Um, and then I'll do like the clock drill where you have to make, you know, whatever, whatever you want, you know, you can do whatever. Um, and then I'll do like speed drills. Um, but it's, it's never anything like, okay, I need to tilt my back a little bit more. I need to point my pelvis out a little more, stand closer. Um, I'm, I'm just like very experimental in, in what I do and, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for results. I'm not really looking for, you know, how did I get to this result? So, you know, like if I'm, if I'm trying to roll on an end over end and it rolls end over end, I'll be, you know, like, okay, that was a good putt. Let's, let's try and do that again. Or if I'm trying to hit, you know, a 20 yard pitch shot that bounces twice and it checks, um, and it, and I do that, then I'm like, okay, let's, let's try and, you know, mimic that feeling rather than 
you know, like, how did I do that? Was my left wrist, you know, this way? Or did I, you know, scoop it a little bit? Or, you know, it's more of how, how did I get to that feeling? And what can I do to, to replicate that feeling again? Good stuff. Um, what advice could you give, like, other junior players, you know, whether it's trying to find their way up the junior or amateur rankings or in terms of playing and practicing? I mean, you've said a little bit, you know, around everybody's different. You know, you got to do what works for you. Um, but, I mean, if you could give a little bit of advice in those areas, what would it be? Um, well, I think short game is the main thing because – I mean, like in high school golf, for example, like I play with a bunch of guys that hit it good enough to be division one golfers, but then they get around the greens and they just can't get it in the hole quick enough. Um, And I think that's kind of the difference between, you know, really good junior golfers and, you know, the junior golfers that can't get inside the top 70 and pull over or whatever is, um, you know, we're really really good around the greens um and you can put us in some really bad spots and we can get it up and down um and that's just that's just how you keep around alive and you know like a lot of the times I'll tell myself like okay I'm short-sighted here a par up and down would be way more momentum than me making that eight foot birdie on the last hole um because you know it's (laughs) someone told me it's really tough to make bogey when you make par and uh (laughs) That's that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard, but it's also one of the smartest things I've ever heard as well. Just because you know, if you make 18 pars in a round, um, you know, you shoot even par, you're you're going to be at worst, you know, four off the lead, five off the lead. Which, sure, I mean, you have a good day the next day, you can easily catch them. Um, so I think, I think that's probably what I would focus on the most is just getting your short game to be sharp enough to where you can, you know, save a round that you're not hitting it great. Or if you do get a day where you're, you know, striping it and hitting it, you know, within 15 feet all day long, you can take it deep. Um, And I think that's kind of the difference between, you know, really top junior golfers and the middle tier. Yeah, I agree. The short game definitely separates those at the top of the leaderboard from the rest. So um, what about uh, you being a multi-sport athlete? So, you, you know, you played basketball uh growing up i think played in high school obviously you're a golfer um big fisherman can you talk a little bit about being a multi-sport athlete and maybe not just focusing on uh one sport yeah specializing i think being a multi-sport athlete is very important because it teaches you to just be an athlete and um i know some people might be like you stand on the golf course, someone tells you to be an athlete. You're like, well, that's just not how it works. But um, I mean, going back to like shaping shots and stuff like that, like if, if you're an athletic person, you can figure out how to manipulate the club face to, to make the ball do what you want. Um, and I think basketball, basketball helped me a lot. Just it's a lot like golf in the fact that, you know, I was a point guard and a shooting guard. So you're always, you're always trying to figure out where you're not going to make the mistake and where you can get the ball in the hole. Um, and, you know, playing high school basketball, everything's pretty fast paced, you know, like I, I played against some kids that were, you know, going to play D one basketball. And obviously I'm not as good as them, but I could think around a situation where, you know, we're running a high screen and, you know, they're, they're playing up and they don't see that, that screen going down to the post. 
but I know it's going to be there. So you're, you're looking ahead and you're trying to figure out, you know, like what, what I need to do to get the ball in the hole, whether, you know, I'm as good as this guy or not. Cause a lot of times in golf, you can kind of, I wouldn't say fake it around, but I mean, I've seen some guys that I've just been like, this kid is just not that good. And you look up and he shoots 67 and you're right. like, you know, like how did that happen? But they're just scrappy and they're athletes. And um, I think, playing multiple sports kind of gives you a different perspective on golf um, from the viewpoint of like, you know, this is what I'm the best at. Um, I can take things I've learned in other sports and connect it back to golf. And um, it also keeps you busy. Like for me in December or whatever basketball season is like, we don't really have any junior events. We have Jones cup, I think in like February, but that's about it. Um, so, like, I wasn't really grinding on the golf course. But then, like, when it was season again, I was fueled up. You know, I was excited to go back out and play golf again. Um, and I think with without basketball and, you know, other sports, I probably would have gotten a little more burnt out than I am right now. And, um, yeah, I would encourage anybody to play, to play other sports because uh, I think it teaches you how to be a better athlete. And uh, in turn, I think it's going to help your golf game. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I do, for sure. Can you talk a little bit about role models? Um, are there any role models that you have in your life? And then, you know, I think you're a role model. I mean, you know, somebody that excels in any area or any field um, automatically has eyes on them. And, you know, you're out there and I see on social media a lot. Um, you know, the, the AJGA is always using you, I feel like, and, and putting you out there, whether it's, you know, short clip videos or, um, just pictures and, you know, some of the accomplishments that you've had. Let's just talk about role models. Who's, who's important to you? Who's been a role model for you growing up? Um, well, I think in, in the golf game, I mean, after he went through that spell where he was, you know, off the train tracks, and, you know, he was struggling for a while. Like he didn't give up, you know, he could have packed in his bag, still had, in my opinion, the best career of anyone in the world. But then he comes out and wins the Masters this year. So um, I think he's been a big role model in the golf game for me. But I think my parents, you know, my parents are both very big role models of mine. Um, and I think uh, Jeff Goodnight, um, Mason Goodnight's dad, Jana Goodnight's dad, who um, their son passed away. He was a friend of mine. They've been a very influential. Um, they've been very influential people in my life. Um, and I think golf is one of those games where um, I think the PGA Tour is the, the largest organization that gives back to charity like every year, professional organization. Um, and I think that's kind of how golf works is you have money in the sport and you have opportunity to, um, to, make, to make a difference in other people's lives. And um, that's, that's kind of been my goal for the past two years is, you know, I have this platform where I am highly ranked in the AJGA and um, I do get to be on camera more than probably the 50th ranked player in the field every week. Um, but, I, but I always try and, you know, use that to my advantage and, um, you know, spread positivity and, you know, just, I always, you know, like I always just try and be the best person I can be. And um, I think, I think a lot of people in junior golf are like that, you know, I've never met, a negative junior golfer or someone that I've walked away like with, like, he's just not a good person. 
Um, Cause I don't think we find that very much in the sport, but yeah, I think my parents and Jeff and Jane and Goodnight have been very influential people in my life. And I've been thankful to have, you know, kind of the pedestal that I've had for the past few years to, to spread awareness about um, our foundation and, you know, hopefully help some first tee kids along the way and that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, golf's a game of, of honor. And I think you're right that, you know, just the, the whole culture around the game and, uh, you know, people starting benefits and foundations and, you know, just like you said, the platform um, just can be super beneficial for, for helping people. And, you know, you bring up the, the, the good nights and uh, definitely want to talk to you about that. I know that you're in Bowling Green this week uh, for the Mason cup. And can you talk to us a little bit about who Mason Goodnight uh, is or was and, um, you know, what the Mason Cup is? I know I saw a tribute uh, at the Little League World Series uh, to Mason and just want you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so Mason was he was a really good buddy of my uh, little brother Cooper's. Um, he was 11 when he passed away of viral meningitis. Um, I guess that was three years ago now. Um, and at the time I had just started doing leadership links, just fundraising. Um, I think I was doing it for the Jack Nicholas, like children's hospital or something like that. Um, and I called Jeff probably two weeks after Mason had passed away. And, uh, he, he told me they were going to start a foundation in Mason's honor. Um, and I was pretty interested in that. So I changed over my leadership links to, to start raising money for that. And then one of my good friends at the time was Michael Sanders, who ran the Carolina Cup, which was the first of its kind. It was like a match play in, in state. You had to be from like North Carolina, South Carolina to play in it. Um, and I thought that was a really good idea. And, you know, I started talking to him about starting our own. And um, within seven months, we had, you know, created the Mason Cup, um, which was we had 28 players last year split into two teams and it's just a match play format um, where each player raises a thousand dollars. And then we have donors and stuff like that. We do a junior am. Um, and it all goes back to, to Mason's foundation and leadership links. And the foundation that they had created was um, it was a platform to raise money for um, youth sports here in the Bowling Green area and Franklin Simpson area, which is the, the bordering city of Bowling Green. Um, and last year we were able to raise, I think, $68,000 in our first year. Um, and this year we're looking to raise, I think, seventy-three to 74000 in our second year. Um, and for anybody that lives in Bowling Green or knows anything about Bowling Green is, you know, we've always, I've always been blessed in this area to have really good youth sports. Um, our Little League team is always really good. Um, like you said, they made it to Williamsport this year. I think it was the third year in like five years we've made it. Um, you know, our basketball teams are always really good. We have good football teams. Um, so youth sports is a big deal here in Bowling Green. Um, and I think this was a very appropriate way to, you know, continue Mason's legacy and the fact that, you know, he loved the sports that he played and he played all of them. And, you know, I grew up playing all of them as well here in Bowling Green. So, um, it's, it's a really important part of my life. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful to turn a tragedy like this into, something that's you know been really beneficial to our city and um i hope to continue it for a long time to come yeah it's awesome man i think that it says a lot about your character and uh, just who you are in terms of getting involved and 
I know there's been a lot of people, I'm sure, helping you behind the scenes and stuff like that, but really just taking the bull by the horns and, you know, making something like this happen. I think it says a lot about you. So uh, for those people that, I mean, I know that it, the event itself is this weekend, but, you know, for future years, I mean, people want to get involved and be involved in the foundation. How, how can they find it? Yeah, so um, for anybody looking to donate, and uh, we still are taking donations, um, you can just go on the AJGA website, find any of the 30 players playing um, through the leadership links at the bottom of the page. Um, and you can, do, you can do a donation there. Or um, if you or anybody you know wants to play in the event, you know you can contact me through social media. Um, you can call the AJGA. Beth Doctor is kind of the lady in charge of um, trying to find you know, the players that I don't invite um, personally and um, you know, we're, we're one of those tournaments where, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the greatest junior golfer of all time or if you're, you know, just trying to play in an event. We, we kind of welcome everyone with open arms. And if you look at our field for the past two years, it's, you know, it's been very diverse. We have, you know, last year we had some really good girl golfers and some really good guy golfers. This year it's kind of the same. You know, you have myself and Jack Heath, who just won Boys Junior PGA. Um, and then you have you know, some kids that are ranked 500, 600th in polo. So um, it's a good event to just, you know, try and compete against the best in the world. And, um, you know, we don't focus on the golf as much as we do just the players enjoying themselves and um, playing in the spirit of the game and, you know, continuing Mason's legacy um, for this year and for years to come. So, um, yeah, I would just contact myself or, um, you know, call Beth Doctor at the AJGA and we'll, we'll get you sorted out real quick. Okay. Awesome. And I'll, uh, when I post this episode, I'll try to put a link up or something like that too, where people can find it. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, just want to ask you a couple more questions. So I want to talk a little bit about your commitment to the university of Alabama roll tide. Yes, sir. Roll tide. Talk to us a little bit about your recruiting process and, you know, what all went into you selecting a school, um, how your family and friends played a role in that and you know, just any advice that you can give people that are kind of in that process right now of trying to find the school that's the right fit for them. Yeah. Well, so going back to like my early junior career, you know, I was fortunate to play really well early and get into big events. Um, and so as a result of that, obviously I kind of had my pick of the litter when it came to schools. Um, but, you know, I, I've singled out probably 10 to 15 schools that I legitimately wanted to go to, um, and I visited all of them. Um, and I wasn't going to make a decision until I'd visited every single one of them and saw what all of them had to offer. Um, and I think my parents played a, a really huge part in that role because, you know, I was visiting this, these schools as like a 14, 15, 16-year-old. And every time I left somewhere, it was like, oh, I want to go here. And then I would go visit another school the next week and, oh, I want to go here. Um, and my parents were, you know, very influential in that being like, you know, you just came from there. Let's let's give it a week. Um, let's let's look at everything before we make a decision. And um, I was fortunate enough to not have my parents push me towards one school or another. You know, they didn't care if I was all the way across the country if I was in their backyard. Um, they just wanted me to pick the best school that I thought was best for me and um, going to make me a better golfer and a better person. And ultimately, that school was Alabama for me. Um, Jay Sewell and John Howe, the two coaches there, were just, um, you know, what I thought 
father figures would be and really good coaches and people that I wanted to surround myself um, around. And then um, my future roommate, JP Cave, Tyler Lipscomb, Sims Abney, Thomas Ponder, you know, those guys. Um, also really big parts of my decision. Um, love all those guys and can't wait to be there on campus with them. Um, and, you know, I just took my time and made sure that when I made the decision, I was ready to make the decision and um, I wasn't going to change my mind after I'd made that phone call to, to Coach Sewell. Awesome. Well, congratulations. When are you heading to uh, Tuscaloosa? So I'm going to move in January 1st. I'm, okay. Uh, I'm going early. I'm going to go a semester early. Um, just felt like, you know, that was the time to go. And um, I felt like I had done, you know, kind of what I wanted to accomplish in junior golf. And I was ready to make that step to the next level being collegiate golf. So, um, yeah, I'm going to move in January 1st. Awesome. Well, that's right around the corner. Uh, yeah. It'll be, be here before you know it. So I know you're going to have good success there. Uh, yeah, I wish you the best in the next chapter. Um, I think it's going to be a good fit for you. So looking forward to watching you play at the collegiate level. But um, outside of that, can you just share with us, I just want to wrap up here, what's on the horizon for Cannon Claycomb? Um, you know, what are some of your goals? What events do you have coming up, I guess, through the rest of the year before you make that move to Tuscaloosa? Um, so I've got Mason Cup this week, um, and then junior players will be next. Um, and then we'll have Rolex in November, and then I'll be going to Australia for the second President's Cup. Um, I'll be on that team there. Um, and I think, you know, my, my goals haven't really changed. Obviously, you want to win every week. Um, but I've kind of focused my end-of-the-year goals um, to be, you know, I, one of my goals this year was to finish top 20 in every event after Sage Valley. Um, and so far I've done that. So I'll be looking to, you know, finish top 20 in those last two events. And then my main goal for the year was to, to make the junior president's team. And then um, obviously to, to win over there in Australia on um, away soil um, and bring the cup back home. So those are, those are my two kind of main goals for the end of the year. And then, you know, once we get to Tuscaloosa, we'll, we'll regroup and try and figure out something else to, to focus our minds on. But um, I think for anybody out there trying to, to get involved in the game or trying to grow their game, um, team golf has always been very influential in, in my life. You know, I played high school golf up here in Kentucky starting in fourth grade, um, and I'll be playing my ninth year of high school golf this year. Um, you know, I've gotten to play Wyndham Cup, Junior Ryder Cup, Junior President's Cup. Um, and obviously in college, you're going to have to play team golf too. So I think those are the things that you need to play in team events. Cool. Well, Cannon, it's been a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you jumping on. I think uh, you're very mature in your, in your young career. And I think you've got a lot of good advice for people out there. So I appreciate you taking some time to, to share that with us. And uh, good luck the rest of the year. We'll keep in touch and uh, look forward to talking to you soon, man. Thank you.